Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode, the Zoom edition of the Iowa Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined from Columbia by Dave Matter. Plenty to discuss in Mizzou Sports Day without games even. We've got the final countdown of your ranking of the, of the top Mizzou athletes you've covered during your time on the beat. We're going to get into uh, the debate about the, the final two, the order. We think we, we know that we know the names, but we, we are going to find out the order this weekend. Talk a little bit about the, the Mizzou draft, what's, what that's looking like for the guys who are eligible for the Tigers as the draft moves past the first round. So Mizzou recruiting and also kind of some college sports discussion at large as we try to figure out what this landscape is going to look like. We'll get into all that in this edition. But first off, Dave, uh, how are things in Columbia? They're good. They're good. We uh, stuck at home like everybody else, getting our, our carry out to support our local restaurants here in town. And uh, just hoping this this uh, we're allowed to leave here sometime soon. The kids are climbing the walls, and uh, hopefully they, they stay out of the uh, home <laughs> office for the next 30 minutes or so. Don't yeah, promise. I like – you guys have been finding the silver linings. I see photos of uh, takeout from Booches and takeout from Murray's. You guys are, you guys are doing it right on the, uh, on, on, on the takeout in Columbia. I, I approve. Yeah, we're, we're, we are, we're trying to help the local economy as much as possible. That's for sure. That's, uh, that's good. So, okay, the, 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 the ranking matters, top Tigers. The, um, the number three was out today. So for those who are not following along here, they've ranked the top 30 um, Mizzou athletes that he's covered during his time on the beat, which went back to what year, Dave? 1998. Okay, so that when you first started at the uh, – was that when you were in college or when you were at the, at the trip? I, I was uh, – that summer of 98, I, I was at the Missouri, but I didn't do a whole lot during the summer. But in the fall, I started at the Columbia Tribune. Okay, so back to your time covering the, the Tigers professionally. And, and you, we've, we've, we've followed this list from 30 all the way down to number three. We're recording this on Friday morning. Um, number three in today's paper was none other than Zoo Wrestling phenom Jaden Cox. And wet leaves two left, Dave, and I, I don't think I'm, I'm spoiling this for anyone, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Wet, that leaves Ben Askren, another wrestler, and also Mizzou football quarterback Chase Daniel as the top two in what order only you know. Um, that's going to be left this weekend. But for those who are, who are debating this, how's that going to roll out? They'll get number two on Saturday and then find out number one by default on Sunday, correct? That's right. And if you can – Probably figure out who number one is after uh, reading number two on, on Saturday, <laughs> but that's kind of plan how we'll roll this out. If you stay up late enough, you can find these online at night because the Jaden Cox one went up around 11 o'clock Thursday night, and it already kind of generated some discussion on Twitter, and uh, some people weren't happy with that selection at three, but, you know, that's, that's fine. This is, uh, that's, uh, these things kind of generate discussion, some disagreement sometimes. That's great. That's kind of the whole point. You did hear from some folks about the Jaden Cox Ben Askren debate, and it's a it's a fair one to have. I mean, look, both of these guys were incredibly accomplished. You've got to probably give Ben Askren some weight because without Ben Askren, there might not have been Jaden Cox at Mizzou. I mean, Askren was the guy who started kind of the Tiger style movement. He had such a yeah. unique style and so effective, but also was just kind of a a superstar in the wrestling community. How did you go about trying to figure out? which order these guys should be in, in your, in your top three. 
it, it was really hard and I went back and forth. When I set out to do this, I knew that that was probably going to be the, the toughest debate for me, um, even more so than Chase Daniel versus Brad Smith. Brad Smith was number four. We haven't done Chase yet, but the assumption is he's going to be higher than, than Brad Smith. Uh, and that kind of goes against the idea of if there's no Brad, there's no Chase because Chase is going to be higher. But when it comes down to, to Ben Askren's career, you know, he won the Hodge Trophy twice, and that is given out to the best wrestler in America. Before him, only one person had ever won it twice, Cale Sanderson, who's known as, like, the greatest college wrestler of all time. Ben won it twice. The year, two years he didn't win it, he was the finalist. You know, and that's not to say that this is all just about awards. It's also not just all about national championships, because if it were, then Jaden would win, because he, he got three and Ben got two. But I think if you, if you peel the onion back a little bit more and you dig a little deeper, for me – um, I, I literally liked Jaden at three. Now, I, I wasn't counting what they did outside of Mizzou as much. I mean, it pulled some weight, but not a lot. Uh, he won the Olympic medal. Askren did not win an Olympic medal. Um, Jaden's gone on and won some world championships. Ben might have been able to, but he, he got into MMA pretty quickly after the, the, the 08 Olympics, and he, he moved on. If he wanted to pursue a career in wrestling, he probably could have. He's 35 now. Um, and he's retired from MMA. So, um, you know, he, he doesn't have the international stuff that Jaden has, but this was more about their time at Mizzou. Uh, also, if you look at, you look at their, their, the peak of their years, Ben was just freaking dominant. I mean, he, he won every match his junior and senior year and, and Jaden only lost once, but within those matches, it they weren't close. I mean, Ben had 91 pins in his career. That's, that's third all time in all of college wrestling. And, uh, and Jaden in his career, he, I mean, his, his record's great. His winning percentage is better. He had 27 pins. So to me, there, that's, that's, there's some separation there just about who was the most dominant. You know, there are some really good wrestlers around the country. They got out of their weight class during Askren's career because they didn't <laughs> want to be in the same class as him. And that's, that's just the truth. And, um, you know, you, we talked about the Hodge Trophy. Um, Cox was a finalist for that one time. Ben was four times and won it twice. So I, that, you know, there's, there's something there. Uh, and, and then I think if you just look at and, – and I said this from the start. A, a, a big criteria for me was impact. And, and Ben Askren impacted the sport, not just the program, the sport in a major way. I mean, he kind of created a wrestling style that kids have duplicated over the last decade and a half. Uh, it's it's changed the way college wrestling is coached, and it changes the it changes the way that college wrestling is officiated. I mean, they have rules now that are kind of like the Askren rules, mm -hmm. um, things that he kind of manipulated, and and part of the reason he was so dominant. So, um, like I said, we haven't we haven't said if he's one or two. We can assume he's one of them. Um, and I I just it was hard. It was like splitting hairs. It really was, and it's. To say that Jaden Cox is the third best athlete of the time I've covered things is not an insult by any means. We're talking like probably 2,000 athletes, and he's number three. Um, so, but I had to make a decision at some point. I wasn't going to do like 1A and 1B. That, that was going to be too hard. So um, I, I, it had to come down to all those factors I kind of went through. I think the, you nailed it with, with Askren. I mean, his strengths became a subset in the sport. I mean, yeah. he, had a, he had a way, and I've never seen a guy who could take a situation which in traditional wrestling is at a disadvantage and turn it into a strength. I mean, he would almost set traps all across the mat 
to give opponents a false sense of hope and then manipulate it and take advantage of it. I mean, he was, he was to say he was one step ahead is to, is to, is to, you know, he was five steps ahead. (laughs) He was, he would set things up and then, and then use them as a way to win a match. And you're right. He was also, it was always kind of felt like he wasn't wrestling an opponent. He was, he was out there to show, you know, almost kind of wrestling himself and that what, how fast could he take someone out of the, you know, advantage. How fast could he pin someone? How fat, How many points could he rack up? He was almost toying with people. And these were some of the best college wrestlers of all time. And he, and he was. He was a true superstar in the sport, as is Cox. But but Ben was Ben was the kind of guy that wrestlers across the country were going. I want to go to Mizzou yeah, because yeah. of because of Ben Askren. Um, I, I think he was, a, he was a he was a superstar in his sport. In a sport that yeah. doesn't have many superstars. Right, and and Jaden did great things for Mizzou and was incredible. Absolutely. I mean, there shouldn't be a but at the end of the sentence. And his story is great. His narrative is great. I mean, he shared some great stuff with me the other day that I got into the story and a little bit more into the Q&A. I thought, I thought Ben transcended Mizzou's program more than Jaden did. He was not bigger than the program, but in some ways he, he kind of was. And, and that, that goes back to the impact factor for me. The hair – um, just the the attitude, the the just the quirkiness, and these two guys, I think you would say, they might be the two, they might be the one and two most interesting athletes oh, yeah. that Mizzou has had. Yeah. I mean, they're both of them. I mean, Ben Ashton would go and and you know completely maul someone on a wrestling mat, and then go out and play disc golf. Yeah. He used to drive yeah. around. He would go around campus and find the golf carts that the you know like the staff, Mizzou staff, or or the maintenance crew had left with the key in it, and just take it. You just see him driving golf carts through Speaker's Circle, and he didn't get in trouble because he's Ben Askren, and he's got the hair, and it's like, oh, that's Ben Askren being Ben Askren. Jaden is one of the most talented, you know, just complex people that I've covered, period, regardless of Mizzou or elsewhere. He can sing. He was a great football player who picked, you know, a, a non-traditional sport like wrestling, over football, he speaks. You know, he he goes on these trips and learns to speak different languages. I mean, he's a. These are two really smart, really fascinating characters that, beyond just being absolutely amazing at their sport, they're just interesting guys to talk to and cover. Yeah, and they and then there's mutual respect for the two of them too. I mean, they they come from kind of different eras. I mean, Ben was done in 07 and Jaden started in 14, so they didn't overlap. Um, but you know if. I hate the Mount Rushmore talk because it's so overdone, but those guys, there's room for both of them. I think if you're doing some kind of, you know, maybe a non-revenue Mizzou Mount Rushmore, cause you got to get in some of the super football superstars, but either way they are at the top. If we extended this out, not just the past 22 years, but the past a hundred, they're still right at the top for everything that they did. You had a, you mentioned your interview with Jaden and I encourage people to go dig into it. There's some, some insight there, some reflection on his journey, some of which people might not might not know about, some hard times that he went through in college before he really broke through. Was he at all uh was he at all upset that he was uh he was behind Ben? Did he figure that out when you were talking to him, Dave? I I I didn't share that much with him. I've I've done it with everybody. I've 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 told them all um you're very high on the list and I you know maybe to as the sales pitch to do the interview, but I didn't, I didn't share with them the rank. I didn't, I didn't want them to accidentally break the news themselves on, on social media. Um, so yeah, but he, I, he found out when the story came out last night, he had some nice comments on, on Twitter late at night when they, when they came out actually. So he knows now that's for sure. 
he, um, you know, that's one of the cool things we should mention here, and we're going to move on to some other topics, but the response that this has gotten, um, you've heard from folks who are following this. Um, you had a story you told me the other day about a note that you got from a, uh, a service member who's following this along with his dad. I mean, t tell me about just some of the reactions that you've heard from this and, and why it's been cool to see how much interest and how much momentum this thing has picked up as it's gone along. Yeah, it's been really great. You know, I, in hindsight, maybe we should have, I, 30 is a good number because it's kind of like a month long kind of journey here. Um, but the feedback has been great. And I, I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact there's no sports right now. And, and this is sure. just something to kind of take up the mind and, and get people talking about sports in a positive way. And, um, you know, I, like you said, there was a, uh, a, a, a member of the military, he, he's stationed over in Israel. I don't have his name off the top of my head. And I, he may not want that shared anyway. But he, he said this has been a conversation piece between him and his dad uh, kind of on a daily basis when, when he's called home or emailed. Um, and, and they kind of try to play to guess to who the, who the next guy is, both two huge Mizzou fans. That's great when you hear things like that. And another little anecdote, and he won't mind me sharing this, Mike Alden, Missouri's former uh, athletics director, still lives here in town in Columbia. He reached out and let me know that he, for all the athletes on this list that competed during his time as AD, and pretty much all of them did, I think for the most part, um, he's reached out to each of them and congratulated them on making this list. And he, he sent them a, a really nice letter. And, and, and more than anything, it's more of, hey, I just want to remind you how much I appreciate what you did for the, the school and, and congratulate you on all your success, even if it was 20 years ago. Um, and this is a good reminder of that. And I, I thought that was a, just a, a great gesture. I think very genuine on Mike's part. He even, uh, even subscribed to the paper online uh, hey. because of the list. So he, even better for us. Well, shame on him for not being a subscriber before, but certainly, uh, certainly <laughs> glad to uh, to add uh, former Mizzou AD Mike Alden into uh, into the fold of subscribers for sure. I, I think it's awesome. You can tell just by the numbers on our website, the traffic that it's gotten and the engagement. It's it's been great. So kudos to you on a great idea. Finish strong, and uh, don't let the fact that Ben Askren was probably more threatening physically than than Chase Daniel influence your. Uh, your final stance on the rankings here. Stay strong. You can uh, you can uh, we look forward to reading that in, in the Saturday and Sunday papers. Um, we should talk a little bit about football and basketball. Let's start with football. The NFL draft is moving on. Like I said, we're recording this on a Friday morning. We'll see what happens tonight in the uh, second round of the draft. No Mizzou players taken in the first round. It looks like Jordan Elliott is going to be the first Tiger taken. Obviously wondering about Alberto and some of the other guys. Where do you think things stand for these guys as, as they kind of try to figure out where their future is going to be here as the rounds progress? Yeah, we're doing this on Friday. I, I think I think Jordan's got a pretty good chance to go Friday in the probably the third round. I mean, that's kind of where the projections are. And it gets hard once you get past the first because some teams, there might just be one or two teams that have somebody a lot higher on their board than other teams, and they might go sooner than that. We've seen that in the past with, with a few Mizzou guys that – went a little bit earlier once you get past the first round than we might have projected. I think those guys, it's pretty widely thought that they'll be the first two Missouri players off the board. Um, and if it's not today, then, then definitely, you know, on Saturday when the, when the fourth round starts. Um, but I, I think Elliot is a guy that I don't know how much he helped himself during this process, but really did is this past junior year. I mean, he was, his, he was better than even his numbers suggested. A lot of the pro football focus, the sites that really measure these things snap at a time, had him as one of the best D tackles in the country, one of the very best, right up there with some of the guys that went Thursday night. So uh, I think he's first, then maybe Albert. And then you're talking about guys like some of the offensive linemen, Yasir Durant, 
Um, DeMarcus Acey, cornerback, has got a shot. Uh, I don't know about Kelly Bryant. I, I don't know if someone will draft him. He'll probably get a shot at being in somebody's training camp. A couple more offensive linemen, uh, Javor Wallace-Sims, Tristan Colon-Castillo, the two hyphen guys. Uh, Castillo came out early, which I, everybody thought was kind of a curious decision. We'll see if he ends up getting drafted. And then I think the guy that is probably the the one Mizzou fans are probably pulling for most is, is Kale Garrett. See what happens with him after he lost – after started this All-American campaign his senior year and then has the uh, the peck injury and, and missed the last seven games of the season, last six games. Uh, as a guy, that he's healthy. He missed out on a pro day, obviously, but he was able to do some stuff at the combine, see if he can sneak in, you know, in the late rounds on Saturday. Yeah, Kale's kind of in that Mike Shear situation where you get hurt at a, at a bad time. Um, hopefully he can – was able to show enough. The one that I can't figure out, Dave, is is you mentioned just Tristan Clon Castillo. I thought, why would not why wouldn't he take an opportunity to come back and have a senior season? I guess, you know, you're not knowing who the coach would be, but I, I feel like especially with the injury that he picked up after after he decided to declare, he's gonna he didn't really have a chance to prove himself to these teams. Yeah, you know, that he's he was very emotionally loyal to Barry Odom and his coaching staff. And I haven't got a chance to talk to Tristan since he made his decision, reached out to him. And I haven't really seen any interviews with him. Maybe at the combine, he might've talked to reporters there. Um, it, it seemed a little, uh, maybe a kind of a knee jerk decision at the time, because I'm not sure anybody really thought of him as a guy that has to get, go out and capitalize now and make money in the NFL. Uh, but everybody's entitled to their own decision on these things. And we've seen guys that, you know, haven't gotten drafted that still are able to make a team. But, man, he's somebody that I thought maybe could really have benefited from another year in college, especially if he doesn't you know, hear his name this weekend. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Let's switch topics here quickly to Mizzou hoops. Um, the Tigers have been on the hunt for talent, um, grad transfers, transfers, preferably someone who can help right away. Um, they've struck out on, on some big names. They've struck out on some names that were more mid-tier names. And then they pull uh, they, they pull a scholarship out and give it to a guy that very few people have heard of, Ed Chang, who is going to uh, be with the team next season. What do you make of this uh, of this commitment? What do you think it says about where basketball recruiting is right now? Probably not the the proven status of of talent that Mizzou hoped to get entering this, and and but maybe he's a pleasant surprise. We'll see. Yeah, if if you had a, a pretty good class already and you had all your pieces coming back that you knew about, and you're just throwing this guy in as your 13th scholarship, you'd say, oh, well, let's see what the upside is, and maybe he can help you. You know, that's not really the situation here. They have they have two scholarships to play with. Could be as many as five if the three guys who are testing the NBA draft waters decide not to come back. We don't know yeah. what they're going to decide. We don't know when the draft is going to be. We don't know <laughs> when the draft combine or any of that is going to be. So, they could go from losing all three to having all three come back and Mitchell Smith, Jeremiah Tillman and Xavier Pinson. So it's really hard to even get a feel for what this roster is going to look like until we know about those guys. So they had Ed Chang. He's a guy that they offered two years ago out of high school in Nebraska. Um, he ended up signing with San Diego state, a really, really good program. He was down to I think San Diego state, Nebraska and an old miss. So, a, a, a high major player and San Diego state's not technically in a high major, but they're the best, one of the very sure. best, uh, you know, whatever we're going to call low major, mid majors didn't play there very much at all. Um, and then went to a junior college in Salt Lake and came off the bench for the most part. He's six, eight. 
He is a 40% three-point shooter, which is – that's a huge commodity to have, and we know how much Missouri struggled shooting threes last season. How does he fit in exactly? Is he a, is he a stretch four? Is he um, – is he a guy you can use out on the wing? I'm, I'm not really sure. But they obviously know him because they, you know, offered him a scholarship two years ago. So they're familiar with him. And now it's, you know, you see if you can pull a little bit more out of him than what he was able to do at San Diego State. Then the and the, the hunt for, for talent continues in part because Missouri's roster is, is in flux a little bit. Um, we don't have any, and that's kind of going to lead us to our final point here, is we don't have answers to how these guys are going to be evaluated. To me, it sounds crazy for – Xavier Pinson to to go into the NBA draft because what is he going to do to prove himself in workouts? How is he is he even going to get the opportunity? I mean, these guys who are on the fringe, who are not guaranteed first round picks, I think now more than ever, it would be smarter to return than it would be to go because there's going to be a lot of unknown. And and I think unless you're a proven commodity, you know, your best bet is to go back and try to try to, you know, own your craft and, and really have a, a more traditional draft evaluation combine process in, in coming seasons. But that's kind of going to lead us into our discussion now about college sports and this discussion. We, we've seen reports this week um, saying, hey, it would be best if college football just said, hey, we're going to plan on starting the season in January, basically a 2020 season in 2021. Um, it would be what it resulted in. Um, we've seen reports of schools cutting certain programs that were not making money um, as a kind of a premature action on the, the idea that they could be losing money through, through football and what they've lost through basketball. Um, these conversations are, are going to continue. And one of the really fascinating things I saw was the report from the Washington Post about the reserves that the NCAA had basically decided it needed to spend in recent years because it didn't like the notion of having a pot of money sitting around in order to get, you know, picked at about, the fact that they weren't paying student athletes. So they said, Hey, we shouldn't be sitting on a ton of money. Let's, let's give up some of this. Let's, let's find ways to spend this money. And now people are going, Hey, they could have used that money for this unknown time. What do you make of just the discussions that you're hearing around college sports based on when this could get going, how important it is that it does and potentially the changes we could see in it if it doesn't. Right. There's just so much left to be decided. And I I think the important part, we have to figure out who's going to be making these decisions. It's, it's going to be coming from the top and it's all going to be based on what, you know, that the health officials nationally national leaders, when they give the green light to say things are going to be okay. Uh, football coaches aren't going to be the ones calling the shots here. I don't ADs aren't going to be the ones calling the shots the, in, in college sports. It's the, the college commissioners, the major conference commissioners, they're all going to have to be on the same page at some point. The, the SEC and the ACC and the big 12 can't say, Hey, we're ready. Let's go. And then the Pac-12 says, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing this. You know, it, and it's going to come down to some degree to politics too, because you've got governors in different States that are defined by what their party is kind of doing and where they're leaning in a lot of these decisions. Um, States like Washington and California are, are talking about these things very differently than States like Georgia and Florida and Alabama and Texas too. So like everything, you know, politics are kind of leading the discussion here, but I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if anybody really knows the answer is. I think the, the first thing is when does this decision have to be made about the college football season? I mean, you, you've got to be concerned about to some degree selling tickets and when fans are going to commit to this, uh, they have to have some answers. 
you've got to know when you can have your athletes back on campus to prepare. It's, you can't just start a football season without having at least, I don't know, two, three, four weeks of practices. Um, and that's whether you have a first year coach like Missouri or, or a guy back for his 14th year, like a Nick Saban. So there's just so much out there. Um, you know, the NCAA and college football are different than the NFL and the NBA because they're all, they're tethered to universities and, and you can't just go off half cocked and not be in what's going on campus too. The, the NBA and the NHL pro sports don't have to, don't have to deal with that. And, think about that. So I think that you've got to be pretty sensitive to what your universities are doing too. Just last week, this week, Missouri's interim chancellor, Moon Choi, also the system president, sent out a letter to the Mizzou community, you know, students, um, faculty and staff saying that we expect to have in-person classes in the fall. Now, obviously everything's subject to change this year, but that was uh, more of a declarative statement than anything we've heard from Missouri since this all started about what they want to do going forward. So if that's the case, then I, I think you can move forward with, with sports. If you can, if you're help confident enough, you can have students back on campus. And I think that's for the colleges, it has to begin there to some degree. And, and then you can move on from there, but man, it's just, it, do we need to have all the decisions made in April? No, but I think we have to have a time frame of when a decision has to be made. And it, it keeps sounding like kind of late May is sort of the deadline for that. There's been a conversation, and there seems to almost be a disagreement about what um, college sports should do on this debate about fans or no fans in attendance. And I, th I think college sports make more money from attendance and ticket sales than probably the pro sports compared to the, you know, the TV contracts. But I do think right. big time college sports would rather have games on TV and the revenue that comes from that versus, right. you know, versus waiting until they could get the all clear from crowds. However, if you're, you know, if you're Colorado state, you're probably not going to get the money from, from that arrangement that you would get if you're Alabama, kind of similar to what we're seeing with, with the discussions about programs being dropped in certain areas. Do you think this will create more of a gap could create more of a gap between the haves and the have-nots in college sports? I think so. And, and I think it, it could create more of a gap within athletic departments between the programs that bring in the revenue, which is only football and men's basketball. And at some schools, men's basketball doesn't bring in a lot. It, very few in the SEC, you know, the baseball programs are profitable. Not the case at Missouri and not the case at the majority of schools. I think that's possible. And I, I think the last thing that ADs will want to do is cut programs, especially if we're just talking about this being a one-year deal. Um, and if you, we've seen it at a few places. Cincinnati cut a team. Old Dominion cut their wrestling team. Because of Title IX, these cuts are probably going to be made more so on the men's side. You know, at Missouri, I, I think that would be a last resort. I think there's a lot of fat they can trim from their spending before they go out and say, hey – Brian Smith, you have the most successful program on campus, but you're not in the SEC and we got to pay the bills somehow. To me, that makes zero sense. I don't think that would happen. Missouri's wrestling program, it costs $2 million a year to run that thing. I mean, it, when you look at Missouri's books, well, they're paying the new football coach $4 million. So I don't think you have to get rid of a whole program, especially a successful one. So, but I think those discussions have to be on the table at schools not just Missouri, because, you know, this is, 
they're they're facing a financial crisis here, potential crisis. If there's not going to be football in the fall, if there's not going to be as many fans there, if they're not going to sell as many tickets, um, yeah, you're you're right. The colleges face a bigger problem there than than the pro sports when it comes to having fans in the stands for sure. We've seen colleges um, encourage certain uh, coaches, high-paid coaches, to take salary cuts. We've seen Mizzou coaches kind of in a unified front step forward and volunteer to take pay cuts. Uh, Both Eli Drinkwitz, the new football coach, Conzo Martin, Robin Finchton, and and, and Brian Smith, um, correct? It was those those four. And Steve Steve Beezer. And Coach Beezer, too, onto the baseball side. So I think, you know, that – is that going to change? Are we going to have a conver- Are we starting to have a conversation about spending in, in college sports? I mean, you're seeing colleges like Central Florida. You know, Danny White down there says, "Hey, we might have to be talking about state and federal bailouts for athletic departments." And we also see these same some of these same programs spend money on on ridiculous contracts for unproven coaches, including. Uh, a lot of money spent on coaches who are fired to not coach. I mean, how many coaches right. in college football are holding a new job while also collecting some sort of payout check from a previous stop? Um, I mean, the buyouts have gone bonkers. The search firms have gone bonkers. We've seen improvements made on campuses for things like student athlete dorms or, you know, training facilities that, that while great, are, were probably not necessary, um, absolutely right. necessary. If you're thinking in today's terms of all of a sudden there used to be so much money going through that the NCAA was encouraging ways to spend it so it didn't get hit with lawsuits about paying student athletes. And now all of a sudden those some of those same places are saying, hey, we're broke. Is this going right. to alter how college sports spends or is this going to be a blip and it's back to normal a year from now? I, I think it would. I think it would be nice if it did. I mean, some of the spending is out of control. Maybe it's but as as long as you know, Alabama and Texas and Michigan and Ohio state are going to keep spending the Missouri's and the, in the, you know, the Iowa States and the Kansas States and the old misses, they're going to feel like they have to, because that's, that's why everyone spends because they feel like that's the only way to compete. So I don't know. I don't know how it really changes if everything goes back to normal at some point. I mean, I, I, one of the craziest things is the assistant coach salary system in, in college football is so out of whack. And I'm not, not saying these coaches don't deserve that money because if you, if the market's going to pay you that, then go, go get what you can get. Sure. But the raises, I mean, Missouri makes a Liberty bowl with seven wins and assistant coaches go from 400,000 to 600,000, just like that. And it's, it's crazy how that works. I mean, could you imagine us in our line of work or anybody else? It's not in, not in this recession proof industry that college sports has been for decades it's, it's insane. And um, is this, is there going to be an end to that? Well, I sure as hope would rather see an end to that than cutting, you know, Mizzou wrestling or Mizzou baseball yeah. or, or other sports that, that people do care about that maybe don't make a lot of money, but are still part of the culture at, at, at each school and within each state. So yeah, the idea of bailouts for college sports, I mean, they don't pay taxes because it's a nonprofit, you know, organization that they, they would need bailouts when they're, giving these exorbitant raises and spending money, like you said, on these search firms and, you know, having to redo fairly new facilities every couple of years because the school down the street did. And that, that would be insane. I don't, I don't think fans would, the general fans would, would really, I don't know. I don't know if people would have the stomach for that. 
I think that the question that I want to see asked by politicians, by anyone who would have to have these conversations is where are the reserves? Where are the reserves for big time college sports? You mentioned a recession proof industry and it has been for year after year after year. This business has been booming. The money has only gone up. Salaries have climbed and climbed. Revenue has climbed and climbed. TV contracts climbed and climbed. And, and for one canceled football season, potentially, or one altered right. football season, and one canceled March Madness, nobody has any money anymore? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard well, to wrap your brain around the fact that, that some of these programs are saying, hey, we're going to have to – and I'm not – this is not specific to Missouri. We're talking college sports in general. But to hear Jim Sturk when, when, when talking about the, the spring athletes who could be coming back to take advantage of the new right. rule that allows them to, you know, regain eligibility because their season got robbed from them. To hear Jim Sturk talk about how Mizzou's going to have to move money around to try to come up with $400,000 for these scholarships, it's like mind-blowing. It's like you should have yeah. you should have 10 times that sitting in a reserve fund somewhere that you can pull out for, for crisis because where else does the money go for these programs? Well, and, you know, I, I write that story every year about how here, here's, here's where Missouri is spending money on and here's what, you know, here's what they're bringing in revenue on. And Missouri generally is always – there hasn't been much profit there. Sometimes it'll be $2 million. The last three years they've been at a budget deficit, but not by a whole lot, but generally, you know, the more money they make, the more they spend Yeah. and they find ways to spend it. And um, you know, all of a sudden now you're, you're losing $10 million because of the postseason ban that you're not going to make uh, from the college football revenue. And then you've got untold millions that you could miss out with this fall sports season kind of in jeopardy. So, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. And it, it is Missouri just doing what everyone else does. Well, yeah, because that's kind of how it's done. That's how these ADs learn. Uh, that's how these universities learn how to do the system. But when a pandemic is thrown in their face, how are you going to respond? I will give Missouri credit. They've been one of the first schools to do these, voluntary quote-unquote pay cuts for the coaches I thought they got out in front of that really fast uh, we, we've seen other schools Washington State and Iowa State were probably the first two power five schools that did it uh, and it's you know it's for Eli Drinkowitz you can say oh it's only it's only two and a half percent of his annual salary because it's ten percent over three months which isn't really ten percent of his whole salary that's still a hundred thousand dollars now the guy's making four million but a hundred thousand dollars is is a lot of money for anybody, um, you know, so I do commend them for doing that. We'll see if that's just a Band-Aid or if they're going to have to make more serious cuts, uh, you know, to their payroll and to their expenses. I wonder, I, I wonder if it's going to, at least for a matter of time, kind of reset how we think about some of these things. Like the next school that pays a guy $6 million to not coach, the question should be asked of, is this the best way to spend money? Is this going to, in turn – you know, and coaches will say, well, they're bashing our salaries. In turn, this could help certain coaches because more time could be given. A contract could actually meet a contract as opposed right. to, you know, one year flyer to prove that you can get to a postseason or else you're fired and paid, right. you know, how, who knows how much money to, to not work. I just wonder if this is going to force kind of a reset into what college sports maybe should, should really be about. So we don't have those answers, but just the conversations right. that are popping up, some of them really make you think about the direction this thing has headed and if this could be a some sort of a return to kind of a, a more practical approach for for some of these programs now I wonder personally if it will result in basically a divide 
between the schools yeah. that can spin like crazy and the schools that can't. And when we've talked about this in the past before coronavirus, but will it reach a point where the Ohio states and the Texases and the, and the Floridas of the world go off into their own realm? You know, maybe it's outside of the NCAA, maybe it's a, a different, maybe it's a different place. You know, even maybe it's the, maybe it's a firm line between the power five and the non-power fives. Um, and whoever, and you have to decide which one do you want to be in. But it does seem right. like at some point, especially if they, if they don't play football this fall, there will be schools that cannot, there will be the schools that cannot overcome that as it is, and there will be the schools that can. And it's going to be hard to merge those two back together after this is over, I think. Yeah, especially if they, there's this model of starting things in January or February for football and then playing like a reduced schedule in the spring. Um, and if you do that, then, then you get rid of the non-conference games. And what if, what if schools like that in the Power Five? What if they say, you know what, this isn't so bad. Let's just stop playing these group of five schools and do our own thing. Now, that, that January model, February model, you know, I think what, what you, the problem is then you, when you start the 2021 season, are we going to be asking these college football players to play 22 games a year? I mean, the Great ones questions. who are going to be eligible and we're still going to call them student athletes and not employees when you're talking about football, really? Yeah. And then what about the ones who are going to be seniors this coming season and the draft is next April? Are they really going to want to play games in February and March? They're probably just going to sit out. The guys who are first-round prospects or the guys who think they're first-round prospects – we know there'd be more than 30 of those. So there's a lot of, a lot of things, the good and the bad, they're going to have to weigh with this. There's no, there's not going to be a perfect solution. We know that. I mean, and that goes for anything, not just sports. So I'm fascinated to see how that, how that all shakes out. That's a good place to circle back to, to close this thing down because part of this discussion, what's going to, the, the thing that will have to happen to lead us to the, all these next answers will be when can it start? And, and the, the seed of that question is what can you, potentially ask of student athlete football players that you can't ask of quote unquote regular students. And there's going to be right. a lot of discussion about that. Can you have students on campus practicing if students are not on campus taking classes? Can you have students on campus playing games if there's not a lecture hall of 300 people going on um, at, you know, the, the auditorium across the street? I mean, those are the conversations that are going to make, I think, us our country make make the, the make politicians make everybody have a conversation about what is college sports really supposed to be, and uh, that's going to be I think that's one of the fascinating byproducts of this whole pandemic is how we view college sports and, and it's going to be uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, we're not going to solve it here on this podcast, but I think it's uh, I've been wanting to talk to you about how you saw some of that stuff because I think I think you know you followed it and covered it as well as as anybody. So. Um, we'll put a bow on this thing, remind folks to to look for this weekend's papers to see which way Dave went for his top two Mizzou athletes that he's covered during his time. And remind folks that you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts at stltoday.com slash podcast. Even easier if you go to iTunes, wherever you find your, your podcast and just search for the Eye on the Tigers podcast. It'll pop up there. Do us a favor, subscribe. Let us know. Uh, let us know how we're doing. If there's something you want us to talk about next time, Drop it in the comments and uh, and we'll check it out. Dave, anything else before we uh, before we hit the road here? I think we've hit on everything. Just uh, keep reading. I've, I've been so impressed, and and not just you, but everybody on our staff, how we have come together and have had so much content here in the last month. I, I 
and it's going to be challenging, you know, until the games start again, but you've done a great job. All of our colleagues have, it's been, it's been a joy to like get the paper out every morning off the driveway. I still do. We, they do deliver the paper in Columbia, Missouri and open it up and say, gosh, look, everybody's still working and doing good stuff. So it's, it's been awesome. Yeah, I, I'll echo that and, and, and thank you. And, and I agree, I mean, to pick up the Post-Dispatch and to see four to five local stories from our sports writers on the front of the sports section in a time where a lot of papers are having to roll their sports section into a different section or, or assign their sports writers to different topics, uh, I think it's pretty impressive. I mean, there are stories to tell and uh, we're continuing to, to tell them. And we're also having some fun too. I mean, the, the ranking that you're doing is an example of that. I mean, it's awesome. And we're learning more about these guys who we thought we knew really well. And it's, uh, it's, it's been really informative and fun. So um, keep up the good work in Columbia. We'll do the same here in St. Louis and we'll uh, hopefully talk to you next week. Okay, sounds good.